Welcome to the Intuitive Rising Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Brooks. This is a podcast that invites you to remember who you are, return to yourself, and rise into your highest and best soul self. Every week, I will be sharing inspiring conversations about topics that hold keys to your awakening. My mission as an international evidential psychic medium, Reiki practitioner, and intuitive mentor is to help you rise into who you were born to be. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today, we're recording episode 54. And this episode is airing on January 23rd. Now, why are these special to me? Well, episode 54, the number 54 is special because 54 represents my life's work in the Gene Keys, something that I've been contemplating a lot lately. And so I think that's a really cool way to um, kind of wrap up the first year of this podcast. And speaking of the first year, January 23rd, the day this is going out is the one-year anniversary from the day that I launched this podcast. So it's been a full calendar year of the Intuitive Rising podcast. And I just want to take a moment and, you know, really reflect on that. Um, I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day in the Instagram chats. Um, this is a person that has come on the podcast a few times, Crystal McKenna. We went through a shamanic journeying session together. If you haven't listened to that episode, head on back and uh, check it out. And, uh, you know, she had said something to me like, I can't believe you've only been doing your podcast for a year because you're such a natural at it. And, you know, I'm not sharing this to toot my own horn because I don't necessarily feel like a natural at it, you know, and I think this comes back to the things that we, you know, another might see us as being gifted at. We don't always recognize in ourselves or sometimes um, the things that we are gifted at or that other people would, you know, say about us are things that are wrapped up in insecurities and challenges and struggles. And for me with my open throat chakra um, in my human design, you know, learning to find my voice and to share my voice is absolutely something in this incarnation that I'm here to do. And so, you know, I just want to share that because I think it's about just doing the thing that you feel called upon, even if you're even if you feel insecure and just about doing it anyways, right? Because as my spirit guide, Matthew likes to say, confidence comes after you do the thing, not before. Um, And so I know, I know that it feels good to be here and it feels good to record this for you. And it feels good to um, share my story. It feels good to receive messages. I've received countless messages over this last year from people who have said, I love your podcast because it's helped me because I feel less alone, because somebody else has gone through similar situations as me and has come out on the other side or is still navigating through that, but is showing me that I can navigate it too. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening over the last year. If you're just finding me in this podcast here in episode 55, I do invite you to go back and start from the beginning if you 
would like to um, share a lot of my story over the course of the year. So here we are in this brand new calendar year of 2024. I just entered a new age as I am an early January baby. So I'm now in my chapter 44 of my lifetime. And here we are turning the page into the second year of the Intuitive Rising podcast. No plans to stop anytime soon. But as I have shared recently in one of the previous episodes, I do feel this kind of nudge um, towards evolving, okay? And knowing that I'm here, it's like we're literally written in my gene keys, in my human design, in, in my bones, in the stars, that I'm here to expand through cycles, right? So everything's a, um, everything is a cycle, an ebb and flow. And I've been reflecting on the words ever since last week's uh, episode came out where I talked about and I shared an example of studying a specific gene key of mine and reading the transcription from Richard Rudd, who is gene key guy. And the words that he used for this specific gene key um, this symbology, the metaphors, the literal same word, same concept, same idea that he was describing this gene key that I not only have once, but twice in my chart were the same words, the same idea, the same concept as a blog post that I have, that I had written and posted publicly on all of my social media back on March 4th, 2019, which was the way that I announced myself to the public that I was a psychic medium. That was the day that I launched my business officially and started all that, you know, that's happened since. That was the first day of the rest of my life, so to speak. And so I was just reflecting on language that I use, terms that I use, and I've begun to See that there's a pattern, you know, there's, there's things that I've always said or uh, metaphors that have always resonated towards and used. And a lot of them have to do with cycles, ebbs and flows. You know, I often describe grief as something that ebbs and flows. And I use a lot of water references when I talk about grief and high tide days and low tide days and, you know, holding on to that life raft, etc. These are things that I have words and ideas that I've used to describe grief for years um, and just life because, you know, life and death are so intimately connected. And that's kind of what we're here to talk about. Endings and beginnings, certainly. But I want to talk about a little bit about grief, which I know can be a heavy topic, but it's also a topic that is universal. Um, you know, we all live different lives, but we all are breathing. We're all living. Our heart is beating and we all will die one day, you know, and we will all lose people. We will all have people pass. So this concept of living and dying is universal and no one can escape it, no matter how hard we try. And so I've been feeling a nudge from spirit, from my own higher self to talk a little bit today about grief. This is really resonant in my own life right now. As you guys know that I lost my dad six years ago. It's actually going to be six years ago today, the day that this launches on January 23rd. So that date of January 23rd that I chose last year was really meaningful. I chose it. It was on the fifth anniversary of my dad's passing. 
And so it was a way to honor him. Um, I also chose it because of the numerology, the first month, the 23rd day, one, two, three, just getting started, you know, um, taking those steps. And so, you know, I've, I've lost my father. Um, you guys know about that. I've lost my nanny, my beloved nanny, who was like a mom to me. You guys were there listening and supporting and following along with that journey last May, May 31st of last year. And yesterday, the 18th of Jan, I'm recording this on the 19th, so a couple days in the past from when this will air. Um, yesterday, January 18th, was the 16th anniversary of my grandfather's passing. So my uncle John, who I've also talked about many times on this podcast, my dad's little brother who passed um, in his mid-40s and I feel like is very, very connected to my middle son, Simon. Um, that was my first experience with death, you know, in the family, um, somebody that I loved and cared about. And so he passed December 2008. And then my grandfather passed, my maternal grandfather passed in January of 2009. So back to back, very, very close and sometimes because of that, and also was like very, very newly pregnant at this time. So, um, you know, January 18th, when my grandfather passed away, I was pregnant with my son, Simon, and not feeling very good. Um, and so it just, it was all a blur at that time. And I know I grieved him, but I was reflecting yesterday. I don't know if I've ever like fully grieved his loss until his partner in life, my nanny passed away last year. I'm still deeply grieving my nanny. In fact, I am trying to hold back tears as I'm talking about her in this moment. She's been on my mind constantly. Those of you that follow me on social media, especially on Instagram, you'll notice lately I was sharing um, some videos uh, of this clock that I have. So I have this clock that um, was my grandmother's. It was in her living room and it's just like a little tabletop grandfather clock. So it's like a tabletop version of a grandfather clock. And I have this and it's in it's in my bedroom on the shelf that has a lot of kind of special, meaningful things to me, including um, a little tiny urn of my grandmother's ashes. And this clock, I've never been able to get it to work right. Like I know it worked when my grandmother had it because I remember it always being in her house. I always remember hearing it, you know, tick tock, tick tock. Um, but since I've received it, it doesn't work. I've replaced the batteries multiple times and it just doesn't work. And then over Christmas, I noticed it was just, I, I was putting clothes away. I think I was folding laundry, putting clothes away. And I, I kind of glanced over and cause I could hear the clock and I was like, what? And the clock was ticking. And so this clock, it moves obviously the minute, the hour and the second hand, but there's this thing underneath it that almost looks like bells and they move around in a clockwise and then counterclockwise kind of pattern. And they move around constantly as the clock is ticking. And I look over and I'm like, oh my God, the clock is ticking. What? And it kind of gave me this like, oh, chills, like goosebumps feeling. And I'm like, hi, nanny. Like, I know that you're here. And then I went around, I talked to her a little bit and, you know, thanked her for the message. And then I went about my day. And then I noticed like later on that night, I kind of glanced, I intentionally glanced over at the clock and it was not moving. I was like, okay. Um, and then it happened on my birthday. 
I was doing something again in my bedroom, probably putting away clothes again. And I looked over and I went like, oh my God, it's going. And I took a video of it um, and I posted about it. And then um, a couple of nights ago, again, I was talking to my, my little guy, my youngest, we were having a conversation, ended up talking about nanny clock starts ticking, like right in front of us. It just started. And we're like, Ooh, you know, this is, there's something to this. And um, I'm getting like goosebumps as I, as I talk about this. So, you know, I think that's, it's so beautiful. And I wanted to share that uh, spirit sign and just how amazing the spirit world is that they can do things like that. I know there might be some skeptics on here. Hey, like I'm naturally one of those people that's like, let me see if I can find any other rational, logical reason for this to happen. I've tried it all. I, I can't think of another reason. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, I kind of have a physical reaction when it happens. I get goosebumps, you know, all of these things that I know this is how I feel spirit. I know to trust, but, you know, I'm just... I'm trusting. I'm trusting that as my nanny and I wanted to share it with you. But, you know, she's been on my mind a lot. I've been thinking about her a lot. This is a brand new year. She passed away in 2023. It, you know, it it has become very, very obvious that, you know, we've started this new year. The future is really, the future's here. Um, life goes on, you know, and she's not in this year. She will have never lived in 2024. And that makes the loss that much more obvious. I know people, I know you get it. I know you get it. Everybody has lost someone. I know you understand this feeling. And so this time of year, right, in general, can bring up a lot of these feelings, no matter how long it's been that the person has been lost. So yesterday, as I mentioned, um, I was kind of like, I always start my day with my cup of coffee and just kind of take some quiet time. And then sometimes I look on my Facebook. And the first thing I do if I go on Facebook is look at Facebook memories, because I've been on Facebook since um, 2006, like, right when it became available for public because if you know the story of Facebook, it was a, a college kind of thing, like a university student thing. And then it became public for everyone. And as soon as it did, I joined Facebook. So I am one of the OGs. I've been on there for a very, very long time. I was in my mid-20s. <laughs> now I'm in my mid-40s. So, you know, it's been a long time. Lots of memories on there. Um, some better than others, but all worthwhile. And I'm looking through the Facebook memories yesterday. And I saw this picture of my grandfather and I. I was a little girl. I was probably three or so in the picture. And I look exactly like my youngest son. He is definitely a carbon copy, except that he has brown eyes and I have blue. And I'm just looking at this picture of my grandfather. And in the post, they had said, you know, it's been such and such amount of years since he's been, um, since he's passed. And I miss you so much. And, you know, you're one of the most influential men in my life. And I didn't expect the emotion to come rushing in. It came in like a tsunami. I have adapted and accepted the fact that he's gone. He's been gone a long time. He's been gone for 16 years. And his passing and what led to his passing was a slow goodbye so he passed, like I said, in January of 2019 or 2009, apology. And, um, but it was around 2002 that he was diagnosed with dementia. 
So there was an almost, um, you know, a six or seven year period. I think it was about six years in total, six and a half years where it was a slow goodbye. He had went from being in my life every day, talking to me all the time, going to visit him. Um, and I was in university during this time that he was diagnosed with dementia, you know, relationships, busy living my life. And I began, it wasn't an intentional thing, but I began to kind of distance myself from him around this time. I'm going to try to get through this topic without crying because I do feel, I feel guilt. I feel guilt. And this is one of the stages of grief, right? I unintentionally in some way began to distance myself from him because it was so hard. It was so hard to see this big, strong man, this black belt. He had a black belt. He worked out in the gym in his late, he was in his late seventies. He worked it every day. He always said to me, Amy, you, you use it or you lose it physically and mentally. So, you know, he was read all the time. He, um, researched things and studied things. And, um, he was just always busy. You know, he had, he actually had a hard time when he retired. And I was reflecting on this yesterday because I was reflecting on a, a memory that surfaced when I was thinking about my grandfather. Um, when I was a little girl soon after I was born, probably when I was a toddler. So he retired and he had always had really busy jobs, um, probably had a little bit of workaholic tendencies, traveled for work, uh, was not used to sitting still, was not used to being at home. And so I can imagine this was a really difficult transition. He also was someone that had some uh, lived experiences with depression and anxiety, which I didn't know at the time. I didn't know until after he had passed. And so this transition was really difficult for him. And he, um, yeah, it was, it was hard. And, and I didn't know that it was hard, you know, as a little kid, all I knew was he was my poppy and he was like the best person ever. And I remember this memory where he had written me a love note for Valentine's Day and he had published it in the local paper. And I wish I could find the cutout. I know that we kept it. He actually, after the fact, like the morning of, he showed me the paper. He read it to me. He showed me that he had done that. And then he cut it out of the paper and he had this work room in his room uh, in the basement where it was just all tools and a workbench. And um, I, I can still remember the smell in there. It was like a combination of like wood glue and sawdust and maybe kind of like musty basement. And we used to hang out in there all the time. There was a beer fridge in there that he would stock with ginger ale for me. And uh, he had gone and he had cut this piece of, I don't know what the material is. It's not wood, but it is don't know. Anyways, it's a hard surface. You can buy it sometimes to put on a wall. It has holes in it. Like it might be like pegboard and you can hook things into it. You do you know what I mean? I, I'm sure somebody knows what I mean when I say pegboard. Anyway, he cut a heart shape and then he, he put red construction paper or bristle board or something on it. So it was like red, like a heart. And then he put, um, lace, um, 
like napkins that looked like doilies but were paper and he glued those on and then he got this like old-fashioned valentine decoration that was paper and he glued that on and he put my name on it and he put this write-up about me that he had published in the paper on it and it, it hung it hung it had a he put two little holes in it and then it had a leather a leather little strap and I remember it hanging in my room for years and years and years and years mom if you're listening and you find that in your storage room please save it for me and put it away for safe safekeeping so he in this note the reason I'm telling you this story is that um, he had said to me in it that having me around at the house because I was at my nanny and poppy's house all the time growing up um, had brought him joy and made him feel purposeful again and he was thanking me for that and as a little girl I knew that was special but you know as I got older I was like whoa that was really really special and so he was somebody that really let me know that he cared and so the reason I I say I feel guilt is because when he got sick I distanced myself because it was so hard. I forgive myself because I was young. I was in my early 20s. I was in university, dating, you know, all the things you do, partying. But I didn't let him know how I felt. And I wish I had. And so, yeah, I realized in this memory yesterday that I don't think I really fully grieved his loss. And it was making me reflect on grief and reflect on how much time has gone by. And it doesn't really matter how much time goes by. I don't think that time going by makes grief any easier I feel we just learn to adjust to the loss but we don't like get over the loss the loss is always there and you know I think that love continues to grow through grief alongside grief grief and love are like intimately connected And I want to talk about this and I want to get vulnerable because we have to get more comfortable about talking about grief. Most of us aren't fully comfortable talking about grief, feeling our grief, being okay with our grief. We get quiet. We try to hide it away. And that's okay. We all process grief in different ways. But we do have a lot of healing to do around this. I feel people feel sometimes like they should be over something or, you know, I can't talk about that or I can't tell my boss the real reason I took the day off sick is because I'm grief stricken about somebody I've lost five years ago, 10 years ago. You know, we we feel... Like we should be over it if a certain amount of time goes by. And I just don't think that's true. And I titled this 
podcast episode with the words grief and celebration because, number one, we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the year anniversary of this podcast. We're celebrating another trip around the sun and we're celebrating another year that we get to live and love and experience all things, the spectrum of things. And, you know, we're here to talk about what's changing, what we're losing, what we've lost, what we're sad about, what we're nostalgic about, what we're grieving. You can't have one with the the other. You really can't. I know, I for one am somebody that doesn't necessarily love New Year's. Like New Year. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, I'm like, nah, could take it or leave it. I know some people love it. They go, you know, they, they get dressed up to the nines and they have people over and they party and they have a great time and it's a big celebration. But for me, I've always been like, oh, yeah, not my fave. And my birthday used to be like that too. My birthday is, you know, a week later. So those two things kind of just became associated together. And, uh, you know, I've learned over time, and this really came with the loss of my dad. He was only 60. He had only turned 60 a few months before his passing. Um, I, in that experience, I learned, hey, like you have to start celebrating life and yourself and the aging process. And so you need to start getting more comfortable with each year that passes. And so therefore you need to be more comfortable with your birthday. You're alive. Let's celebrate that. You've lived another year. Not everybody gets that. And so my experience with grief has helped me actually learn to celebrate more than I did before. But I know not a a lot of people like New Year's because there's this feeling of like, oh my goodness, have I done what I wanted to do? Have I said what I wanted to say? Have I seen what I wanted to see? Another year closer, you know? It's kind of like another year closer to the end of my life. And I think there's power in that thought, but I don't think that thought, that contemplation is meant to hold you back. I don't think it's meant to make you sad and depressed. I think it's meant to light a fire under your ass. It's meant to go, yeah, you're right. You are one year closer. What are you going to do about it? This topic always gets me because there's healing here for me. There's still healing here for me and maybe for you too. I know when I talked about uh, recording an episode about grief, I talked in my Instagram stories about this and I got countless replies. Yes, please talk about grief. Yes, please go there. Um, So I know this is something people want to talk, want to hear about. At least we want to open the door to it. That's a little bit about what I've been going through. My contemplations. Let's talk about the stages of grief for a moment. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to open the floor or open the door, however you want to say it, to the spirit world. I'm going to see what wants to come through. I'm going to channel in the moment and see what wants to come through. I also want to talk about um, something. Maybe I'll start with that. Let me start with this. I don't know if I should start or end with this. In today's daily tarot, the day I'm recording this, Hold the Six of Cups for the Collective, which has a lot to do with connection, but it also has to do with reconnection. Um, You know, so it can mean things like 
Maybe you're going to be thinking about the past. Um, a memory is going to come up about the past. Maybe you're going to run into somebody from the past in some way, or they're going to come into your mind. It's kind of a, a focus on the past a little bit. And I know a lot of us are saying, you don't, don't look back at the past. You're not going that way. You can't live in the past. And that's not what this is about. That's not what this contemplation is about, really. Nor is it the message that came through in the guidance today from this card. In this contemplation about the Six of Cups and the energy of this and the looking back and the nostalgia, I um, had this awareness come in about something that I had read about lately. So as you guys know, I'm a Gene Keys enthusiast, and I was recently um, contemplating the Gene Keys, as I shared in the last episode and touched on briefly in this one. So I was reading about Gene Key 33. I talked all about this in the last episode. Please go check it out if you would like. Um, this is about the gift of mindfulness. And so this shows up in my chart twice. And I have a book. I have, I have a bunch of Gene Key books. But the one that I was referring to is called The White Book sometimes because it's a big white book. And it's called The 64 Ways. And so in it, Richard Rudd, who is the, uh, I don't want to say the founder of the Gene Keys, but he's the person that originally kind of brought them into reality from the spirit world, kind of dropped into his awareness. So he has this book, The 64 Ways, and it is contemplations of each of the Gene Keys. So it's it's trans it's transcriptions of his talks, of his contemplations. And so I was reading about the, the 33 Gene Key, and I shared all about that and the connection with the uh, words like the clearing in the forest and all of that stuff. If you guys are not, if you guys did miss last week, please go, you're missing something, go back and listen to that one. But in that contemplation, he also shared about this Chinese term, idea, that is connected to tea drinking. So it's called Hugon. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Don't come at me, please. H-U-I-G-A-N. And what this means in Chinese is, I'm reading off of my phone here because I took a note about it. Um, it translates, so that word translates to a returning sweetness. And it's a pleasant flavor that appears only after initial bitterness. So in this kind of art of Hugon, connected to tea. So it's like we're drinking a tea and we're in the moment, we're savoring. And it initially takes, tastes bitter, but then the aftertaste of it is very, very sweet. And there's kind of a whole thing about this. This is a, an an art. It's a practice. It's a ritual. And Richard went on to kind of contemplate this a little bit and connect it to the 33rd gene key. Um, and so what I had written was bring in a pleasant memory, bring up, sorry, bring a pleasant memory forward in your mind and sit with that. Allow the pleasure and the joy of that memory or thought to flood through you. This is not about living in the past. It's about bringing something wonderful forward with you in the present. And I wanted to share that connection, that message that came through me this morning. Because when I 
heard that and I typed that, I wrote it, I thought, wow, you know, that's just like grief. And I know I've talked to so many people and I've lost people as well. And so I know this sentiment to be true. People that have lost people near and dear to them, people who are grieving, don't want you to not talk about that person that they lost. And I I know the feeling because so many of us are like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about that person that they've lost because I don't want to make them sad and depressed. That person hasn't forgotten that they lost their loved one. That loss is at the forefront of their mind, probably almost every single waking minute. So you acknowledging them doesn't make them sad and depressed. It's like the art of who gone. It's bringing something, a pleasant memory that that person lived. They existed at the same time that they did. And they loved and we loved. And so as someone who is actively grieving and has, you know, I, I, yeah, is actually actively grieving, no matter how long the loss is gone, wants you to talk about that person. And I imagine that you do too. So I think this is just, we need to get more comfortable with that. We need to not worry so much about bringing that up because, oh no, it might make somebody get upset. That probably person probably is already upset because they've lost something and someone monumental and, and irreplaceable. By talking about that person and acknowledging something special or do you remember when or did you know that? That is a moment when a wonderful memory, some joy from the past comes forward and lives and imprints in our present. Isn't that beautiful? Let's quickly talk about the stages of grief. I mostly wanted to do some storytelling today um, and and vulnerability and share. So we've probably heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She wrote um, the very well-known book on death and dying. And she broke um, grief up in five stages. Um, But in this article I'm referring to, it is on healthline.com. I will link it in the show notes. It is called The Stages of Grief and What to Accept. Or sorry, What to Expect. Interesting. I said accept. So they say grief is universal. People often describe grief as passing through five or seven stages. The five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Seven stages elaborate on these and aim to address the complexity of grief more effectively. And these include feelings of grief, which, you know, I spoke about. First of all, I think that it is really important to note that grief is experienced 
maybe experienced differently by everyone. It's a super duper duper personal thing. And I think that we also need to become more aware of that. Not everybody's going to sob and cry in the moment. Some people, I, I've, I've met people before that are deeply grieving, but you might think, why are they being so sarcastic? Why are they laughing and trying to joke around? It's their way of dealing with it. You know, I think we need to take the judginess out of grief because we really don't know how we would react in that situation. That might be a coping mechanism. So there was, as we said, Kubler-Ross wrote a book death, on death and dying, divided this up in five stages. Um, her observations came after years of working with terminally, terminally ill individuals. In time, two more stages were added to make seven stages. So let's see. First stage, denial. I mean, I definitely, definitely get that. I think I even touched on it a bit when I said that I unintentionally distanced myself um, from my grandfather as he was navigating dementia because I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with the fact that this was a slow goodbye. I didn't want to be there the moment when he's talking to me and then the next he doesn't know who I am. So I think we all may go through that. Denial. We just can't process it. We're in shock. And this can last the whole time, a little bit of time, a little bit after. Stage two, she says, is anger. Okay, so it's a masking effect. Uh, we're just mad at the world. We're angry. Um, we might act out. Uh, we might, I don't know, tell somebody off and get in a fight. We might do something destructive to ourselves, a habit. And then we've got stage three, which is bargaining. And this is when we we're really flooded with the intensity of the loss. And um, we start to bargain with ourselves. Well, you know, if only I had done this, or maybe if I did this, the outcome would be different. And, you know, this is a, a part of it, you know, as an observer looking in on someone going through the stage of grief, we would say, there's nothing you could have done. We need to let that go. There's nothing you could have done. And that person that you lost knows that we need to let that go. But I feel like that process is, must be purposeful in some, in some way, because it is this universal stage of grief that we all go through. And, you know, I feel like what it does it is it helps you. I don't think it's a purpose. Like it's, I don't think it's helpful necessarily, but I do feel like when we're talking about masking or avoiding, or we're still kind of in the denial stage, so to speak, it's a way to delay it. You know, we're postponing the gravity of what we're going to be experiencing. Stage four is depression. So, you know, this is, this is when shit hits the fan quite literally. And we're just like out to sea, you know, arms fit, flailing, feeling like we're drowning. This is, this is, 
this is the the gravity of the situation is apparent. We can't um, bargain. We can't deny. It's happened. And this could take a long time to get there. You know, this could be like me. It could be like, whoa, so many years have gone by and I was kind of, I don't know if I fully grieved and now here we are and wow, that's that really happened. I can't be in denial anymore. And I think this is a stage that can come and go and ebb and flow and hit you like a ton of bricks. And that's the the stage of grief that I think most of us, when we think of grief, if we're just like, what's grief? I think immediately we would probably go to that stage. Then stage five, according to Kubler-Ross, is acceptance. And so this is not to say we've moved on, but we have made some sort of peace with the situation that we know, no matter of denial, no matter how much denial or bargaining, we do. This is reality. Um, and so the next part of this article says the seven stages of grief are another popular model for explaining the many complicated experiences of loss. And I think that's a great word, complicated. I think the grief is very, very complicated. It is not one size fits all. So shock and denial, pain and guilt, anger and bargaining, depression. Then they say the upward turn. So at this point, the stages of grief like anger and pain have died down and you're left in a more calm. So I'm going to read you something after I'm done this because I feel like I wrote something for my dad. Um, I wrote something. Well, yeah, it was after his passing. I wrote it as a way to process my own feelings of grief. Uh, and it's an article that uses a lot of water off references and ebbs and flows and all that kind of stuff. And I'll, and I'll give you that, but the upward turn as they're describing it reminds me of, a, um, you know, a low tide day. It's a low tide day. The water's not rushing in. It's, it's out there a little bit. Um, then there's reconstruction and working through. And this is a stage when you can begin to put pieces of your life back together and move forward. And then finally, acceptance and hope. This is a gradual acceptance of a new way of life and possibly feeling and feeling the possibility of future. And I think like this guilt... I think guilt is one of those things that just constantly, not constantly, but I think we need to be on, I think we need to be aware of guilt. Um, you know, when it comes to times like, like the holidays, for instance, I know I've worked, I work with clients all the time that have lost people. Obviously, I'm a psychic medium. So, you know, half my work's with the living and half the work is half my work is with people that have passed. And uh, I hear so often, would they be upset about this? Are they mad about this? Um, how do I honor them? I feel guilty because I'm I laughed today or I was in the moment and enjoyed myself or I had a great Christmas and then I realized, oh my God, how can I be having a good Christmas when they're not here? And and so, you know, that's so normal and I want you, if you're experiencing that, I want you to have grace with yourself because 
that's so, so, so normal. But on the other side, I want to assure you that your loved one in spirit wants you to live well. If there was one, if somebody was like, Amy, give me one sentiment that would fit or be a common message from every past loved one you've ever connected to, from every spirit person you've ever connected to, what would it be? Which you might think is hard, right? There's a lot of different things that come in. That's why I am an evidential medium. I bring in specifics to that person. But there is a commonality. There is a common message. And that is, number one, I'm with you. I'm a thought away. When you think of me, I'm there. That's how this works. That's how energy works. The energy of your thoughts, the energy of your feelings, and they're now energy. They're fully energy. They're not in their physical. They're just an energetic source. So when you think about some about them or you feel something about them, they're there. So please know that their energy didn't go anywhere. Science has proven energy never dies. It just changes forms. That's something I, would, I want everyone to really know. And if you can't know that yet because, you know, you're not ready to know that yet, then to think about it, to contemplate it. And the other one is, I want you to live a life well lived because they live through you and you, like there's no time and space in the spirit world. I know you've heard me say this before. You've probably heard multiple um, mediums say this, okay? And what does this mean? Well, you know, time and space is an earthly construct, spirit world, they can be here, there, and everywhere. They can be with my energy. They can be with your energy. It doesn't matter if you're in Australia and I'm in Canada and they're in the spirit world, their energy. So they can be in all of those places at once. They can manifest. They can think about something and be there or think about something and do it. There is no time and space. That's the challenge for us as humans on this planet called earth. And so um, to them, you might have 55 years left of your earthly life. To them, it's going to feel like that. A snap of the finger. Because there's no time and space. Okay? So with the time that you have left, enjoy it. But also be human. Being human is grieving. So have grace with yourself as you're navigating your grief. Have an awareness that doesn't ever really truly go away. But you wouldn't want it to go away because if it went away, then you kind of, like grief is the cost, is the price of love, right? I want to read something to you. Let's see if it's still in my Instagram stories. I just saw this yesterday. Let's see. It was, it was literally about this. It said, to avoid grief, I'd have to love less deeply. To avoid sadness, I'd have to be less compassionate. 
to avoid tears, I'd have to suffer in silence. To avoid mistakes, I'd have to never take risk. Risk, rather. If I want to truly live, I need to accept it all. And I think that's a big piece. Being human is 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 about grief, love, and grief. Just two sides of the same coin. Sometimes they're flipped up at the same time. You know, they can exist at the same time. I feel that love continues to grow through grief. I think that makes sense because when you're grieving, you're missing something, right? You're missing something. And so when you miss something, obviously you're loving that thing and that that love continues as that missing happens. So I feel like the love deepens and the love grows. That's a gift. But also know that your loved one in spirit wants you to live well. So try your best. You might feel guilty. And like I said, I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't feel your feelings. But in the back of your mind, hold the thought that they want you to live well. They want you to laugh and throw your head back. You know, they, they want you to cook that recipe that they, they made all the time. It makes you think about them. They want you to hang that decoration on the tree that's in memory of them or was yours or was theirs. They want you to look at the family photos. They want you to smile. They want you to talk about, remember when? And they also want you to continue creating those moments for the people that one day you will leave behind and will grieve you. I'm going to end today with that article that I had mentioned about grief. I am looking for it right now. (laughs) One day I'm going to take all of these articles I wrote and I am going to publish them on my blog so um, so that we have them. Okay. Grief. Grief is a complicated, confusing, overwhelming emotion that not many talk about. We deal with the biggest, most upsetting, traumatizing situations and losses, and we do it all alone. Because we're afraid of appearing weak, afraid of judgment. Aren't you over that yet? Afraid of being vulnerable, afraid of opening up, because you know it'll all crumble down. It'll likely be a temporary collapse, but we feel if we talk, we will have opened the proverbial can of worms. I lost my father unexpectedly and suddenly nine months ago. He was 60 friggin' years old. I could just fall apart when I think of how cheated I feel for him, for my mom, for my siblings and I, for our children. Our time here is short, everyone says. Enjoy it to the fullest, they say. But what happens when you feel stalled and when you feel overwhelmed and utterly and completely furious that the universe has taken away someone that you love? Grief ebbs and flows. Some days the ocean waters are calm and some days there's a little ripple. Some days are dark and stormy and the last thing you want is to be on that little life raft battling it alone. Low tide days are the days when I almost convince myself that everything is fine. 
I function as I normally do. I smile. I even laugh. I find joy in the simple things. I stop to enjoy and live in the moments. But the grief is still out there waiting to come rushing back in. And any little thing can set it off. High tide days are when the grief very slowly and gradually fills up and up and up and up until it's almost bubbling over. I'm literally up to my neck in every emotion possible. These days are the days when despite knowing I need to send out an SOS, I don't. I scramble, I flail my arms and legs, desperately trying to stay afloat, and I do it alone. When I'm in the midst of a stormy day or week, month, or year, I retreat. I don't reach out. I try my darndest to keep swimming until I've completely exhausted myself. And that's when the grief spews out in every aspect of my life but disguises itself as things like anxiety, anger, and impatience. You see, grief isn't just sadness, not just despair and depression. Grief wears many hats. The overwhelming anxiety I felt daily, that's grief. The sudden rage I feel when someone pulls the last straw, that's grief. The impatience I have with myself and my family, that's grief. It's a confusing, all-encompassing emotion. So today, I'm throwing out my version of an SOS. For myself and for anyone else out there silently hurting. If you can't speak it, whisper it. Write it for yourself or for others. Be a helper. Offer someone a small kindness. You see, I truly believe that eventually the kindness versus sadness ratio will eventually even itself out in my heart. I can't bring my dad back with kindness. But I can fill up the void he left with. I'm here. What can I do? And I love you. And then I end by saying, be good to each other. We're all we've got. I knew I was going to cry today, but man, I feel like looking back and reading that, you know, that's been almost six years ago. And I'm immediately taken back to that time in my life and those feelings. And I can see the growth because I can see how in that that entry, that article that I wrote, I'm kind of almost writing it like I expect that the grief will go away one day, maybe. And now I know from where I sit six years later that that's not the case and that's not how this works. But I share it to be vulnerable with you because you might be in that place right now. (sighs) Well, my friends, I've seen all the numbers during this podcast. I haven't mentioned them, but I've seen this is my third angel number that I've seen during this podcast. I saw 1212. I saw... 4545. And just now I saw 5757. And I love that because my dad was born in the year 57. So I feel like that's a good way to end today. Thanks for listening. If you lost someone, my heart is with you. My heart is with you. I get it. 
I understand. Uh, I'm holding space for you. I'm here for you. Send out that SOS if you need it. Love you guys. See you next week. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider hopping on over to wherever you listen to your podcast and giving it a five star review. Thank you so much in advance. If you'd like to keep in touch, please head over to my website, theintuitiverising.com to keep up with all the things that I have been doing. I also have a private Facebook community for people just like you. It's called the Intuitive Rising Community. All you got to do is request to join and I will let you in. Keep rising.